Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We're back, and we're here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. I'm Keeper Mark, and with me tonight, as always, is Keeper Jen. Hello. And Keeper Bob. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Tonight, we are going to discuss a work by Lord Dusaney, The Charwoman's Shadow, published in 1926 before the term fantasy had ever been used to describe the genre. Jen, do you want to give us a synopsis? Sure. An old woman who spends her days scrubbing the floors might be an unlikely damsel in distress, but Lord Dunsany proves once again his mastery of the fantastical. The charwoman's shadow is a beautiful tale of a sorcerer's apprentice who discovers his master's nefarious usage of stolen shadows and vows to save the charwoman from her slavery. That might be the shortest synopsis we've had in quite some time. Short and sweet and very, very to the point. Dead on, right? <laughs> that, that really packs it all in there, right? So this uh, was a, a reader suggestion, right, from Daniel Bishop at our last uh, yes, it was. Our last podcast? Yes. Um, well, thank you, Daniel, first of all, for uh, introducing me, at least, to this with this work. I don't think, uh, I don't know if I, Bob or Jen, you'd read this before. Nope. No. Yeah, my first reaction is that I, I really had a great time reading it. It was, um, especially the first half, I would say, really engaging. And, and I, you know, breezed through that and it's had a lot of fun. So it's a great book. I, I totally agree. I love I love the concept that this is essentially pre-fantasy fantasy, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just it's so engaging as a as a as a modern fairy tale. And it in a lot of very strange ways, it feels still very current. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a perfect example is when he's trying to figure out how to unlock the the shadow box, and it's it's three syllables, and he literally is using a brute force <laughs> password attack. Just uh, I will go through all of the possible syllables, and I will do this again. Take ten. There's, right? just, there's so many moments like that that feel so current and so modern, but are are you know, obviously aren't. It speaks to the timeless nature of, of fairy tales, I think, and of the telling of the story. I guess yeah, my experience it's... was a little bit different from yours, wherein I tried to start reading it, and there was just some sort of block on the style of writing, because mm. it's so antiquated fairy tale, right? 
and I couldn't get past it on paper. So I pulled up the audio and I ended up finding a version that was read by a woman in New Orleans in January of 2023. So very currently read. And the cadence of her voice, it was like grandma was reading me a story before bed. And that just kind of drew it all together. And okay, I, I, uh, I'm in. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that the language is one of those things that I, yeah, when I remember from the, the King of Elfland's, our daughter, you know, that being kind of a more esoteric style. And I was worried that this one, you know, would feel similar, but I, you know, after getting through a few first couple of pages, I, I think it, it kind of quickly got into the, the more of the fairy tale, you know, language and, and aspects for me. And got into a better pattern. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think Bob, like the, the, you know, you talking about that lock, the other thing that is woven really throughout this whole story is these mo moments of tension, like real tension, you know, it feels like, you know, where he's able to build sort of these, you know, he prolongs a lot of that, right? He prolongs that lock picking. Yeah. He prolongs like the encounter, the going back to the village and like the, you know, all these things. And it's kind of built this framework. And it's and I think the tension in this book is really well well done and real well written. And and I, I found myself like, oh, you know, I, I know what's gonna happen, but I I I can't wait to like read and get there and see what you know how it plays out. Well, and I I didn't think the language was the language use I didn't find to be archaic as um more as a little bit more uncommon, like when uh, when his cloak billowed out about him hugely, for example. That's not really... It's a little it, cumbersome, right? Yeah, it's... Well, it, I didn't even find it cumbersome so much as a little unexpected, but I found that his... He took, he took a really big storytelling shortcut by, by setting this in sort of this mythical Spain and giving us enough information that anybody that is familiar with Spain at all on a passing level has imagery in their mind. And so even though he wasn't spending a lot of time describing things, you could still see it because your brain is filling in all the gaps. And I really appreciated that. I thought that was uh, kind of a kind of a change from so many of the books that we've read where it's, okay, this happened. Well, what's it look like? No idea. Move on. And so, so this this kind of expansion, right, of of my own imagination filling in those gaps because it's written intentionally in that way. I totally dug that as a technique. And uh, in the in the copy that we have, Peter Beagle, the author of The Last Unicorn wrote the introduction. And as he started reading it, he's like, "Oh my god, I stole from this guy." <laughs> Not in that he lifted ideas, but in that he lifted a writing style from him and has done things the same way. Yeah, I and, that that Spanish setting or the that I I, I saw it termed like mythopoetic, you know, or mytho, you know, you know, setting. He's used that before, I think, and it made me curious about one of his other novels that you know, looking at his his bibliography. There's a the Don Rodriguez chronicles of shadow valley you know and shadow valley is this nominal place where it takes you know the setting is it's only sort of obliquely referenced by the name of the duke character who's the duke of shadow valley but you get the sense that it's a sort of this quasi 
a magical place and until the end right and right you don't want to get too too many spoilers but you know until the end and it becomes you know the book was written almost 100 years ago give some spoilers (laughs) 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 but i I had never heard the other book that he wrote that you know the chronicles of shadow valley and it it kind of made me want to go and explore that because it's it seems like it's connected at least you know you know in in passing or at least in the location and maybe even some of the the kind of the magical elements, you know, that are there. So that's another well, other book to get into. Yeah, that that's one of the fun things about a series, right? You get to see, hey, is my favorite character going to make another appearance? Do I get to see another instance of this magic being done? Uh, one of the things really lending to the lyrical storytelling part of it was the fact that the names were always the same, right? Ramon Alonso is always Ramon Alonso. It's never just Ramon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's always Ramon Alonso in, in the course of the story. And man, I don't know about you guys, but I still can't drop this suspicion against the charwoman. I I still don't think she's not some sort of villain. <laughs> Over, over in the chat, we've had a redemption for a random joke, a random fact. So I'm going to pop oh, out a random is- fact. I'm going to pop out a random fact that actually uh, I came across while I was uh, doing my research for this, which is Lord Dunsany, who was, I believe, the eighth in the line, because it's his his great grandson uh, living in Ireland has a film, a small film production company. But the Lord Dunsany that we're speaking of wrote over sixty novels in his lifetime. And then also wrote books on naturalism and a number of other things. Uh, so there's that. But okay. I, will, I, I will go on and tie another random fact in, in that this is one of the few times that you're going to come across a book, at least in, in my experience, and I've come across a book that references the Philosopher's Stone, which, of course, you know, in the U.S., Harry Potter turned it into the Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone. But uh, the Philosopher's Stone is used correctly as as written out hmm. in uh in the magus by francis barrett in the in the old english grimoire which is it is something that you could ingest small portions of for longevity and health as well as using it for the transportation of base metals into gold and i really dug the fact that that was used properly but dunsany was also friends with people that moved in in those circles, that moved with like uh, the, the Golden Dawn and other groups like that in Europe. So when he's talking about magic, he's talking about things that he has friends that have discussed. And I think mm-hmm. that also gives it a great sense of, of realism. So well, perhaps was- maybe not completely random, but uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, Tim will appreciate the two. And, and I was going to say, Bob, it, because of the timing, it really is closer to Dunsany's time. So he's not a generation or a century removed from Francis Barrett's writing. Well, I mean, he is definitely removed from Francis Barrett's writing, but he is not, not removed from, from those of, of the Golden Dawn. Mm-hmm. And things of that nature. So, I mean, there was there was a, a fairly large occult movement going on with with poets and and writers and uh, and upper crust movers at the time, and that actually ties into the way he wrote this story, which I find 
very exciting. I have a copy of, of the Vegas in, in my closet. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a great book. Maybe I will, uh, I will uh, use it for a couple things later on. Uh, well, but the, but the way he depicts magic in this book felt very, I, I feel very familiar and very sort of like, and also just like, I mean, I, I love the fact that magic is this, you know, knowledge is sort of like this currency of magic, right? That this, it's, it's, it's all, oh, yeah. it's, and, it, and the idea is very much like in the style of DCC, where you have to pay a price to learn magic or learn the art of writing or, the, or learn the art of reading, you know, the things that are considered magic at the time. And, and that feels like such a great, you know, frame for adventure plots and hooks where, you know, you can get, you know, you know, your, your wizards to go study under some magician type figure, you know, and, and what is the price? Well, your shadow or your ex, you know, this. Oh, yes. This, well, this, and, this and let's, let's talk about that for a moment, right? So we have, we have the, the philosopher who is, who is referred to as a philosopher or, you know, sometimes as a wizard. And magician, the, the, right? the goal of the philosophers is the pursuit of happiness, right? That is, that is what they are studying things for. That is his stated purpose. And, and they elevate themselves. Oh, you know, turning things into gold, that's base materialism. It doesn't lead to happiness. Uh, and and so, so there's all this, but there's this innate corruption, this darkness within everything he does, because it is happiness at the cost of, of anybody else's. Nobody else matters to him but his own happiness, his own pursuits. Even even bringing in someone to study with him is because it makes him happier to be able to share share his knowledge and pass it along than it is just to hoard it. He is the most self-centered. And yet he's not sharing all of his knowledge. He's not even, I mean, I really did love the way that Ramon Alonso started plotting a way to get the magician to even teach him how to read. Or how to read certain symbols. And he was telling the charwoman, soon I'll be able to get the whole string so I could pronounce it and then cast the spell for you. And that just, yeah, okay, that, that's my kind of night's the bedtime story, I guess. <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh yeah, but I mean, but, he's, but the magician wasn't giving it to him. Well, he but it, he wasn't well, allowed. That's to. Hang on, he wasn't giving it to him because he figured out what he wanted, right? And he was trying to obscure that he was trying to learn a you know a a three syllable phrase in Chinese when he hadn't paid to learn Chinese. He paid to learn Spanish, uh, but <laughs> so he's he is obscuring his motives. Whereas the majority of times when the philosopher is refusing to teach him things, it's because they're not interesting. He thinks he should be learning something else. And, and again, it's all about, it's all about him. Well, I don't care what will make you happy to learn. This is what will make me happy to teach. Uh, and well, it, that that really does put him up there with a lot of college profs I've known. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. I suppose <laughs> but, so. but he still he still has a, a growth arc, you know, the the magician because he does begin with this sort of like resistance or you know pay as you go sort of you know, knowledge structure, right? But then it turns and it becomes, I 
I really want to have a successor, right? I and I want this relationship. And he's he's pleased when Ramon Alfonso, you know, comes back and says, I don't want to learn about the base things anymore. I and he's doing it duplicitly, right? But you know, he he and he's he's like, oh, maybe this is the the pupil that I've always wanted. And he <laughs> and that relationship is really important to him. And I love that that sort of reversal of you know, what we, we, in the DCC terms, you have this sort of like, okay, you go pay for your knowledge, you quest for it sort of thing, but it's also on the opposite end. What are their motivations interests beyond sort of just the, the mundane monetary? It's like the, 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 you know, that the, the accolades that he'll get in the afterlife for having passed on his knowledge and those things. And then in the end, of course, you know, he has this very sort of like, you know, growth arc of, or, you know, growth or, or just change, right. Where he decides to go off into, uh, into the into, not extend his life anymore, right? Can kind of like yeah. this you know, realization that this world is no longer for him and and the things that he populates it with and and all these magical creatures, which I found really. I mean, for me, that was an there was like uh, you going back to your point, Jen, about um, you know the charwoman, or I think is it Anemone? I can't remember. Anemone, oh, yeah, Anemone. You know the, whether she is really sort of like this, you know, you know double-sided yeah. character. Because there is this sort of like point in the story when there's a non there's a hint of like a non fairy tale ending, right? She they escape from the, the 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 magician's house. They got through the forest. They she she regains her youth and her shadow. If it had ended there, that's the fairy tale, you know, sort of like mm-hmm. uh, you know cutoff point, right? Where they're just like happily ever after. But no, they have to go through this series of like I think there's like another fifty pages of like challenges, right? You know, of in, in doubt. It's like she can't even go back home anymore, right? Because they think she's a witch, you know, and I love that aspect to this, like, sort of, you know, mm-hmm. additional complexity and and, I, and the magician's sort of, like, final passage, which ends the book, right? It, it doesn't end with, you know, the the happily ever after of the Duke and the marriages and all that stuff. It, it ends with this passage of away from the world. And, and I, it, it lends us a sense of, like, complexity and, 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 you know, doubt about what was magic and what wasn't you know and you know was the was her spell that she cast on the duke a real spell or was it true love that's never clear and and that that ambiguity is really one of the things i liked about the book well there's would would you say the ending would render the the magician an anti-villain like i mean i don't think so i don't think i think he he sort of transcends the expectations of Father Joseph, right, who just said, you know, if you dark magic, you're damned, you're going to hell. And it sort of transcends that that what he had of his own mentor, who was like, oh, he's in hell, blazing it up, and he's, you know, he's immune <laughs> to all before he's like, him, he's like bowing down to him. He, it seems like he sort of like trans, you know, he, he goes beyond that to I think what they called it, the country beyond the moon's rising, right? You know, it's like this sort of like quasi mystical place that's not hell, it's not heaven, it's not part of that you know, Judeo-Christian sort of framework, it's magic, right? And so he doesn't become necessarily an anti-villain necessarily. He just, he steps beyond the borders of our world into something else. And I, and I like that, you know, ending for him, even though he was a jerk and he was like <laughs> self-centered <laughs> yeah. and all these things, you know, but he's magic and he's like the embodiment of that. Well, and there's, there's so many things about magic in this story everywhere from like when when she regains her youth there's the comment that your shadow is casting a body yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> she has a youthful shadow and that is what her body becomes there's when uh, when he's trying to find the the wizard's house in the woods and he can't find it and he's got the note in his hands and he's like well 
three is an important number in magic. So he waves <laughs> the note three times and the house appears, right? Uh, you know, little things like that. And then there's the, the broader, the broader arc of Christian spirituality is the white magic. Mm-hmm. And everything else is is black magic, including like your yeah. non-Christian deities like Vishnu, right? Vishnu is is in, in no uncertain terms not an evil god, but in this story, it is all black magic. Yeah. And so Would, it, one, it one could argue that that's the view of a few people, Bob. Well, but, but the, yes, <laughs> even but the now, it's not necessarily the view of the author who was. Friends right. with people that practice yeah. magic, right? So it, I think yeah. it it goes more to the point of the Christian point of view that if you're not with us, you're against us. But it also paints paints a world where that has a great amount of power when all of the mystical beings are fleeing the woods because white magic is coming. You know, there's, yeah, there's, like the sign, like when they make the signs of the cross, or they yeah, you know, do all these kind of like you know things, and and the the magician sort of reacts to that. What I really liked is that there's some of these subtle hints of like, it's not so, it's not so black and white, right? Because if you, when we talk about back to knowledge, you know how like the magician is hoarding this knowledge, and like knowledge is like the key to like unlocking power, and, and you know he's like, well, I told you that there's like one element, and all these kind of things. There's like when Father Joseph like is talking at one point, I remember there's a passage of like, you know, you don't need to learn writing because everything that's been written down is actually, you know, over here. And the monks keep that and guard you you against like sort of this thing. And it's just, it is sets up this sort of like opposition of like, well, white magic is good, right? But it's also why do you have to protect it? And why do you not let people write? Well, and I, I love that, that sort of hint of like, well, not is not all is like swell and well in the world of you know the even the white magic or the what the, the christian church in the book as presented in the church is working well and in that moment right when he's when he's having that discussion he's like so everything you need to know is already written down so you don't need to write anything down and if anything else is discovered the monks will write it down for you <laughs> yeah. and i was like wow now you know granted we're talking about a time period you know this this setting is a time period where the average modern Sunday newspaper has more knowledge than the average person would have been exposed to in their lifetime. And, and that's a good reflection of why it is, Hey, you know, knowledge is power. And if we have all this knowledge, we can just sort of funnel it out. And so the two really the two sides really aren't that different. You're, you're very yeah. right. In that. Okay. There's, so- a, there's a lot of those that are like double things presented. Like there's youth yeah. against age which is like a big theme in the book. And and I have to say, you know, I, I wrote down like a, a, a note to myself as I was reading. I was like, you know, Ramon Alonso is pretty slow-witted. <laughs> he's, he doesn't catch on too quickly to things. <laughs> I think there's like one point in the book where he, like it's when her shadow is getting released back and he's in the reader is by that time well caught up with, you know, it's going to turn her back into her youth. And he has to like sort of like, oh, oh. <laughs> Because he's so naive. Shadow. Oh, he's just a young novice. I mean, really, he was just the the gopher, the runner sent to go, you know, deliver the love potions. He's just caught in between all this stuff. Well, there's also like this nobility as this sort of like 
they the nobility in this in this is depicted as like they are like what what is their job they hunt boars you know and they want and they keep a tower which is like that's that's like you know he's not trained like, you know he's brought up in this sort of like privileged but also this dilapidated you know sort of like poor setting but he's still hanging on to you well we can't go work we have to hunt boars that's what grandfather did that's what <laughs> you know i do and this is what you're going to do but now you need to go get some gold for us you know and, they, and then come back and probably hunt boars you know, over your <laughs> for your future and I, I get the feeling that he's like the youngest or or the middle child or something it doesn't stand to you know gain anything i don't know if there really is anything <laughs> to gain right but the the other thing is when when we're dealing with nobility the the importance of nobility has a big hole poked in it at the end right when it's well, I can't marry her because I have to marry someone with nobility. And the king's like, well, I'll fix that. You know, we'll just make it illegal for anybody to discuss that she had humble beginnings. And, you know, they, so they'll be put to death. And then I'm going to bring this over to the church and the church will bless this proclamation. And the story, the story discusses how the term charwoman falls from favor because nobody wants to accidentally use it in reference to her and be killed. Yeah. So, it's you know, it really is you know nobility is nothing but a piece of paper it is it is not a statement of worth or anything of the sort and i thought that was very interesting coming from lord dunsink well and and that's sort of the <laughs> that is the magic of the the king right that's the king's magic is he can take this and write and write a pardon for low birth <laughs> yeah, a pardon, nice. yeah a pardon for that's what it was it was a pardon that was just so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. So, if all good fairy tales have a moral, Bob, what would you say the moral of the story is? Oh wow! Uh, the moral <laughs> of the story. Come back to me on that one, Mark. What the moral of the story is? I think the moral that I took away is the power of spells diminished by the square root of the distance that's the moral that i took <laughs> that was such an as any student of magic knows i'll allow it <laughs> i guess the the i think the the moral of the story is if you hate someone if someone hates you long enough they'll fall in love with you because that that's of course what happens with the duke and his sister right i mean well i also and, and there's like this sort of like sister? you know well, not the Duke's sister, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Ramon Alonzo's. Yeah, but there's a, there's this hint of like this, you know, woman as a deceptive creature, right? You know, that's the flashing of the eyes is referred to both in terms of her and and anemone or you know the charwoman and and also the village ladies. And I and it's never fully explored, but it, but it kind of goes back to that you know w you know question of you know what you know is there magic in, inherent in in their beauty and you know in, in womanhood and and is that the spell that you know the, the duke falls under in the end but it, it, there's like a knowingness right that's sort of implied with you know she yeah. the sister always sort of has this sort of like you know understanding of the world that is expressed when you know, you look in her eyes but it's not something she she can talk about because in that society she's not allowed to speak unless she's asked a question <laughs> yeah well i suppose and on, a, on a more serious note i guess it would be when when seeking knowledge, beware the cost, right? I mean, he yeah. thinks nothing of giving away a shadow because he doesn't understand 
what it means. And we later find out that while well, your shadow follows you in life, but there's one time you follow your shadow and it's in death. And mm. without your shadow, you're not going up. And there's there's so many allegorical tales like that of, of wizards taking something that seems innocuous and it, it turning out to be very, very important. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> Is it safe That's to assume that deep. we all enjoyed the book? I, I enjoyed it. I, I, had a, I had a good time reading it. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm willing to go back to the physical book now and, and give it a read now that I've gotten into it. That's that's totally fair. Well, then, talking about getting into it, why don't we move over to some things to stat, right? I mean, there's there's so much wonderfulness in this book to stat. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Now, I, I want to start out by saying I you know, I've got all sorts of books on entomology at the house, but I still had to check that hawk moths were a real thing, which they are. Uh, hawk moths are about the size of a hummingbird, right? But with such a dramatic, evocative name, how could you not want to stat up hawk moths as maybe like familiars? <laughs> talk about a, talk about a moth that from a distance, I mean, they hover like hummingbirds. They feed from nectar from flowers. They can be confused for hummingbirds. That is how big they are and bulky they are. I, wow. I love that idea. Um, I like the idea of doing maybe an NPC, like a men and magicians philosopher class sort of akin to the witch except instead of using curses they use simple spells Ooh, um, there, there is a sage men and magician or men and magicians there is and maybe yeah. maybe it could be built on from there because i don't think the sage in there has, has i think magic. it has like harmful spell once per day or something like that i'm not even sure they i that may be the sage and the witch. They may even story. have like a like a like a sort of like they know uh, they're they know some knowledge like random you know that you can ask them about something, but I don't remember if they have spells also. But yeah, I, I remember the sage being one of the. No, the they just have there. knowledge. Uh. <laughs> Pull it up and look. Um, <laughs> the idea of doing like the uh, curse of the stolen shadow, where you know the things that are happening to your shadow begin happening to you, your mm -hmm. your personality. You know, rating starts to go down because people treat you differently once they realize you are cursed. Um, oh yeah, that that sort of like uh, that gateway of you know you see the like the wizard corruption you know image you know the iconic image that's you know over time and you most I'm sure most judges are are pretty lenient when it comes to um, you know okay well you may look like this and you're going into the town and maybe there's like this sort of like you know in, you know questioning of that. But you could really lean into that if you wanted a more, you know, grittier sort of realistic campaign. When your shadow is off, the village like basically goes berserk, and they they mm -hmm. get out yeah. their their swords and their knives, and they're on watch for days. They they immediately go on a funnel to take you out. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. Right? They grab torches <laughs> and pitchforks. Because it's but, not but the first can... time they've seen this. They know this. They call it the Ramon Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can imagine like a you know, playing that up for any kind of like corruption that your, your wizard has, you know, that's the, you know, that's just like physical evidence, people reacting to the strange and unknown. There's a, there's also like a, an element of like the, the dying earth setting where you have these kind of villages that have different sort of unique, you know, you know, ideologies yeah. and, and, and reactions. 
And so I think there's a lot you could play with there as far as like coming up with creative ways of saying, yeah, it's not going to, you can't just walk into the tavern and, and order a mug of ale if you're, if you're looking like this or you look different. You've got a tail. Question. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they have like this sort of religious background, you know, that's sort of like characterizing and coloring all their, you know, the decisions. Yeah. They could be looking at you're, you're obscene to me, you know, how can I, you know, tolerate this? So. Oh, definitely. Like in Weird Frontiers. Oh, yeah. Well, in, in a lot of settings. Revelator will have fun with you. Um, I certainly <laughs> thought the idea of, of, the way the shadows were used to bind interplanar servants to this world so they can mm-hmm. so they could do his bidding. I would love to do something with that. And and like I mentioned earlier, I mean I've, I've got a copy of the Magus. I'm going to have to write up the Philosopher's Stone. There is <laughs> there's no ifs, ands, or buts. I could quote the old English in the write-up. I've I I have to do it. It, it is a must. <laughs> All right. So we've got you uh, recorded committing to this. Bob. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm totally. Yeah. What about you, Mark? What what did no, what no. did you go? Oh, I gotta write this. So um, the the potion like being mis um, mismixed, right? You know, and and it's not clear oh. there was some sort of effect, right? You know, it wasn't just like he he drank poison necessarily, but he had this hatred, this magical hatred that came out of it. It was almost like the opposite of what he was intending. And then, you know, looking at the, the the create potion or make potion spell in DCC, there's like four fumble results or misfire results that you can get with that. And they're they're pretty, you know, vanilla, just in terms of like, oh, the opposite happens, or it explodes, or, you know, there's like some something like that. I think you could, you could have a really nice potion fumble table, like an extended table that, you know, you know, has a lot of like shades of, you know, what could happen when you maybe it's subtly wrong. And you know, what, what are the effects that mm-hmm. happen? So I think like an yeah. extended potion table would be like a fun thing to add and pretty easy to insert into that make potion spell when there's a misfire or, you know, if it's made by somebody who's not, you know, adept in the ways of magic. like, um, like Or somebody who tries to make it without the full X number of gold pieces that <laughs> is supposed to be yeah, they, 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 they components. They take shortcuts and say, well, yep. maybe I don't need 10 glow worms. You know, that, that's what yeah. happens when you shop at Merle's Discount Potion. yeah Yeah, exactly i really liked um the depiction of the magician's lightning sword you know that he uses to fight off ramon alonzo in when he brings out his rapier it's not that the magician has any skill right at fighting right if i think you know ramon alonzo says it's if he spent time doing this he would be really good at it given all his years but he's not he's but he's using this magic and the way that the sword is kind of depicted is like this sort of like lightning bolts, you know, and when it con- connects with his sword, it degrades it and turns it, you know, tarnished and then dull. And, you know, it's not, it does it's lost its sheen, but it also is like, has this sort of paralyzing effect. And then when it touches him, it sears him. I think it's kind of a fun sort of, you know, wizards, you know, version of a sword, you know, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's yeah, you know, that he carries in a box. And I like that. And it would definitely be named, right? Yeah, be named. Yeah. <laughs> and the last thing I thought of was that the idea of reading and writing being this sort of magical thing to most people at the time, yes. <laughs> it was really, it was really interesting. I think you could come up with some great guidelines for judges to say, you know, in this setting, it's really uncommon for anybody to be able to 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 read and write, right? And so, what does that what does that mean when you're like trying to yeah you know, do things, right? You know, you're relying on other people and maybe they have other motivations or maybe you have to pay for somebody's services to when you like want to write a letter or what does it mean if you have this 
you know, indecipherable text that you that's maybe written in a language which, you know, who can find, you know, who can read Chinese, right? You have to go mm-hmm. far out of your way because nobody in your country speaks that language. So I, I think there's some some kind of cool things you could give as guidelines for judges and maybe, you know, allow them a little bit more of that, you know, that the the medieval sort of reality of that, you know, there's not a well, lot of that common knowledge right around. Well, and the mindset, you know, now that I've learned to read, there is no thought of my ancestors that that is <laughs> is barred from my understanding. Yeah, I, it's so powerful. I really I dug that. Yeah. That's why most wizards end up locking themselves in a tower and going insane, right? <laughs> oh, was that just me? Um, <laughs> what about you, Jen? Um, you know, you guys had some really great ideas. And aside from uh, messing with our our little charwoman a little bit more. Uh, I'm just going to leave it stated that from now on, every zero level character or everyone that starts with that zero level background of wizard's apprentice or sage or beetle, any of the spell casting apprentices should get a built in bonus to casting spells from scrolls. Mm, yeah because they can actually read it <laughs> scribes scribes definitely yes um, a literacy bonus is what you're saying one one could put it that way as long as your int is above five <laughs> at which because if it's five or below i believe you're illiterate um yes i ran i ran into that uh in a game i was running this past Thursday, when um, someone's it, intelligence was drained to three I, <laughs> Bob, that was my character in the Lankmar playtest for a year. <laughs> mm. There, There's paper. I need help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so tonight I kind of feel like that. Sorry. <laughs> well, should we move on to our next segment, which is Bob's audio suggestions? <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it's all you. <laughs> no, nobody else had audio. <sighs> okay, fine. So... Because because this was set in sort of a mythical Spain, mm-hmm. uh, I thought you know what the the music for me that that really evokes that setting is Spanish guitar and flamenco guitar. Right, it is just powerful music. So I I did put together a Spotify playlist. It's like six and a half hours long, um, and it includes uh, artists. Like as a matter of fact, for those who tuned in at the beginning one of the songs that was playing was called Duello. And uh, that is by the artist Julia Ferlengo from his album Oracle. Oh, so good. And uh, I would recommend his, his albums Oracle and Relic. They're a mixture of of Spanish guitar with uh, Romani influence. And in the case of Relic, a little, a little bit of metal, a little bit of medievalism, really good stuff. And if you can find anything from the Bellamancy album, that is my absolute favorite. I would have recommended it, but it's out of print. And good luck I finding know, it anywhere. I know. <laughs> <laughs> to put it in perspective, we gave Bellamancy to uh, to friends of ours for I think it was Christmas one year. We bought the last copies that he was able to get back from a, from a consignment store in Mexico. <laughs> um, then looking at some of the really greats among the Spanish and flamenco guitar, like uh, Paco de Lucia, whose album uh, Sirocco is fantastic. Um, Entre dos Aguas is another one of his his top albums. And 
if if you are not familiar with with Spanish guitar and flamenco guitar, it it's going to blow you away. Then there's uh, Andre Segovia, and there is the album Spanish Spanish Classical Sound Volume One, which is 1928 to 1930. So we're like right oh. in mm, right wow. in the frame when this book was written, and oh, yes. it also has Segovia guitar music. Which is not just—it's—it's it's Spanish guitar, but it's not all Spanish music. Uh, there's okay. there's a lot of a lot of classical music for guitar played there as well, and then uh, Paco Pena, who was you know, considered <laughs> one of one of the greatest Spanish guitarists of all time, uh, Paco Pena and Elliot Fisk in duo recital is uh, is another album I would recommend. All of these are on. The uh, the Spotify playlist, which I will put in the show notes, and and Jen has already dropped into the. Uh, you were busy trying to pronounce things. It's all good. <laughs> I, I can pronounce Pacopenia, honestly. There's a tilde and everything, but but I was listening to this when I was when I was reading the book and when I was writing my show notes because for me. It is, while it's music that I enjoy, it's not music that I listen to very often. And so it evokes a very different feel. It mm. is, it's not, you know, Renaissance fair music feel for a medieval period. It is, it is just different. And that's the key, right? Music doesn't have to be of a period. It just needs to take you someplace else. And that is what the this music does. And it's all subjective, really. But yeah, I, I, I I'm going to ask you, Bob, to to put your music first in the show notes so that I can, I can leech off of it and listen to it while I'm reading. <laughs> that is a totally fair request. I will yeah. second it. <laughs> All right. So Bob's got his work cut out for him uh, while, while he's in music world. Um, Mark, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick uh, introduce, introduce a new yeah. section of what I'm calling keeper marks word of the day uh, for the podcast. Uh, I I love the word gonfalon. If you uh, came across that, which means like a pennant, you know, or a a banner, it's just like an arch archaic term for that. And uh, you know, I, I love finding new words and like and seeing like, oh, that's something I want to use in description of something, you know, going forward. And then I realized I already used it in in DCC one hundred two dwellers. <laughs> <laughs> love this new word. Like, no wonder I, I like that word. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw and, it again and, and I was like, ah, oh, that's a great word. I'm going to use it someday. And, and which word was it? Gonfalon. Gonfalon? G O N F A L O N. Gonfalon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember Harley Stroh saying at one point that he always tried to insert one word mm -hmm. that would make every reader stop and look it up. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of love and hate that. <laughs> okay. Um, new section added to show notes. Got it. <laughs> and, and that brings us to our next new every, section, every which is Jen adds new things to the show notes in progress. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a little meta here. Um, okay, so normally we go to the point, this part of our show with, you know, existing DCC stuff that's out there that we could use 
as an inspiration or reskin and and used to run something akin to what we just read. Uh, I threw out already Weird Frontiers, uh, mm. simply because the shadows, the revelators, the Tommy knockers, that whole aesthetic, and of course the Cavalera being able to see the shadows and the ghosts. And so I, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. It's such a good system anyway, but you could totally pick this book up, put it in there and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just change the time period and, and you're pretty much set. I'm, I'm with you there. What else oh. you got, Jen? Oh, I I didn't know if we were trading off or what here. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd like to hear what else you have to say. I, I did a dissertation on music. That's, your- that's, that's true. Um, every time the conversations happened with the charwoman, I kept picturing her on top of a rooftop, you know, like on a rooftop somewhere in the middle of this downtrodden city. And of course, my brain goes to Lankmar. Mm. And perfectly dirty city to begin with. <laughs> so it really fit the theme for me. And Tim Callahan's adventure, Cheating Death. Uh, besides the adventures after uh, the old now young woman got her shadow back uh, there's a really handy table in there called death's reach and it's got a few columns for what happens to you if uh, you fail a couple of checks and death catches up with you well just replace that with your shadows Hmm. what happens when when your severed shadow catches up with you as it continues to follow you. Uh, that that just really hit me. And Mark, I, it's really hilarious that we're doing another book related to magicians and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, DCC Dying Earth is going to come into the picture. And particularly in this case, the Sorcerer's Tower of Sanguine Slant. Mm. And... I say this um, roughly a few, but hopefully, hopefully within a month of people getting this in their paws. Um, the, as Mark alluded to at the end of the book, the magician despairs of finding the worthy apprentice and just sets out drawing all creatures of magic and legend with him. And ends that particular age or aeon or epoch as you will and in this particular adventure the magician tires of not having the correct apprentices and Mm. shadows do take uh, (laughs) shadows or something very like them do take a great part in uh, extracting their toll for the knowledge you have learned and yeah, that, this would be almost you could run it as a, a a sequel to you know what happens after the magician leaves, and this is sort of like he's, there's still this where do you go uh, yeah. and where do you and and an an aeon later, you know, this is what what what's there. So and or even immediately after, um, presumably winning the game, air quotes used heavily here, uh, you still have to get out of the tower, right? Yeah. 
And yeah, that, so that, that's where my brain was going. Cool. What about you guys? Um, well, I think my brain initially went to uh, Jim Johnson's The Vile Worm. That was one of the old Brave Halfling releases. Uh, and, and I know they're very difficult to come across. But you know, the idea throwback. of this, this hermit mm-hmm. in the woods, like, yeah, come to where I live. You know, I'll teach you things. <laughs> and all going horribly, horribly wrong. Um, Wait, that seemed like wasn't that the very first one that I ran? That was your first road crew game. Road and, crew and, game? And, <laughs> yes, and through and through divine intervention, I I, I killed one of the uh, other characters as we were trying to escape. Yes, yes, it was. Um, but yep, yep. one of the one of the complaints people have generally had about a lot of the brave halfling adventures is there's not really a whole lot of setup, right? It's hey, here's a here's a paragraph of concept and adventure go. And so by, by marrying the vile worm with the themes from the charwoman's shadow, it would so just raise, just, it would so elevate the adventure and everything that's going on. And it's a, it's a tight adventure. Once you're playing, it is a great little adventure. Um, it's, it's certainly a, a one session and, and done, but it's also a one session and Bob accidentally kills a, a you know, another PC. Yeah, so <laughs> I haven't thought about that one in a while. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, so there was that. And then I started thinking about like the Emerald Enchanter. What if, what if you sort of flip that on your head? What if rather than being there to try and destroy the Emerald Enchanter, you were first there as guests and now you've realized everything that's going on and you're trying to leave or you're trying to stop him. You can, you can sort of, you bring that about. And then I, you know, sailors on the starless sea, maybe, maybe the keep isn't empty. Maybe it's not, you know, just abandoned and and populated by a small group of beastmen. Maybe that then becomes (laughs) the holding of, of one of these philosophers who is seeking, seeking knowledge. And in this case, the path of knowledge he is seeking is that of chaos. And so well, that, that is really his sole focus. That would actually make sense because the keep itself and the grounds around it have a very different feel than the rest of the village or its surrounding area. So you really have that delineation between the two lands that Dunsany likes to have in most of his stories that we've exactly. been exposed to. <laughs> And and I think it's worth mentioning. Um, see if let's see if my high school Spanish is still with me. All these years later, uh, Clascos del Masmoreo, which is DCC uh, Spanish from Other Cells Publishing. Um, they Other Cells hasn't done a whole lot of original content, but there is some stuff out there. It would certainly be worth taking a look at because. It is, it is culturally from someplace else. It is not going to be standard medieval Europe, England, German sort of village. And so that, that gives you an opportunity to bring in some extra flavor that goes with this adventure. That's right. And the spines are CDM, JDR, as opposed to DCC. Juego de Rol. Yep. Yes. And, cool. uh, and, and their awesome. stuff in English and in Spanish is, is available. Right? 
right? So aren't they the ones that had the uh, the the judges screen that was like the red dinosaur landscape? No, that was that was the uh, first Portuguese. Sagan. That, that was that was, Sagan that, was that was pre Sagan. That was uh, the first Portuguese release. Oh, I thought okay, gotcha. And it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a screen. It was a it was a chart booklet. Gotcha. Okay. All right, Mark. I, I went a little in the different direction, more thematically, you know, uh, inspired and appropriate for the day because, um, you know, we're recording this and, and broadcasting on Valentine's Day, which um, brought to mind there are now two, I think, Valentine's Day official modules from Goodman Games. One of all 20- things. Yeah, I know. It's great. And, and so I want to highlight those just mostly not for necessarily having a lot of like reskin purpose but this is essentially when i was reading this i was like this is a love tale you know it's just there's a lot of other things in fairy tales story about it but you know that the the way that love is depicted between you know the the protagonist and the charwoman and and just how that deepens and then there's love between his sister and the duke i mean it's it's very much like in line with you know the day and sort of like the thoughts around that so Go and check out the the two Goodman Games products that are a bit twisted, you know, when it comes to <laughs> the themes of love, as always. You know, there's there's um the 2022 is the Love in the Age of Gong Farmers by Stephen Newton, um, which is a level two adventure. And then this year, uh, for this year's Valentine's, uh, Brendan O'Sall <laughs> wrote uh, Love Mutants of Castle Heartache, which includes some Valentine's Day cards you can cut out and give to your your special someone or that other party member that you you they deserve this uh this unique expression of your affection and those cards are actually really fun to look at um they come included with the adventure so uh check those out for for folks who haven't seen them yet i want and- dibs on writing the official arbor day adventure <laughs> yeah, <eventually>. <laughs> <laughs> it'll come with seeds yeah and so in Brendan's Adventures Level 3, so you could almost have like a sequence of Valentine's Day adventures year okay. over year if you wanted to. <laughs> One of my favorite parts about that is the back cover and the the blurb that says based on real events. <laughs> 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 yeah, the, I mean, the cover itself is pretty glorious, done in the style of a romance novel. I know, I love that cover. Uh, the, I love, I, the introduction to, to Stephen's adventure is, is the first time I've I've seen a little warning like saying there's some uh, body themes in this one so you might not <laughs> play this for all ages you know oh, God, it's a rated PG game wow <laughs> yeah. he's like a little little ma on the cover or something like that <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> um but I guess that, that brings us to our uh DCC feature for the show do we do want to transition to that so, uh, The Queen of Elfland's Son by Michael Curtis. And um, Bob, do you want to to read the introduction of this one? Sure thing. Strange attacks in the night plague the people of Eng. Slaughter and shadows keep the villagers inside after dark. Mighty adventurers are needed to seek out the source of these threats and stop them for good. This quest will take the heroes to the very borders of Elfland and pit them against the cruelty of the unseelie court of fairy. Will the heroes overcome the machinations of the Queen of Elfland, or will they fall victim to the glamours and wiles of Elfland's malicious nobility? 
dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think we can all agree that Mr. Curtis knows his Dunsany. He does. Oh, this yes. Is, I mean, Knoll House was another one that was based on the works of Dunsany. And this is, yeah. Yeah, th- this is a, a really nice tie-in to the King of Elfland's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Th- I mean, this one is probably more directly tied into that, but the the fact that this is Dasani and it deals with sort of this, uh, you know, fae magic, it's... Oh, it, yeah. I, I think this is a really good one to highlight. The first thing that you see yeah. when you... is that striking St. Julian cover, which, you know, <laughs> is, is really awesome looking, and, and then the writing inside is just on par with with that you know and i think he's done a really great job with his adventure well i think i think the adventure has what i would refer to as an underlying dunsaniness mm-hmm. right? so uh, so <laughs> so despite this really being inspired by you know, the king of elfland's daughter i think it is very easy to tie it to the charwoman shadow because there's there's such a similar feel and michael curtis carries that that feel through with with the writing and and so I think it's it's easy to tie them together. They're just just a couple little things, right? Maybe maybe the Lord of the Tower, rather than hunting boars, is the one that's been out hunting the unicorns. Maybe that is that is what the family does. And that, of course, that's is, an easy switch. Yeah, that's part and parcel of the entire conflict. Then you drop the philosopher's home into the ivy woods, off to the west on the map, and. Boom! You you have a place to put everybody in this story into this adventure, and now this adventure goes from you know one maybe two sessions to something that you can really sink your teeth into and play out for maybe four or five. Yeah, and I also think there's a few things that reminded me of the the book, like this idea at the beginning that magic has withdrawn from the the setting. And in it, in the the mortal world is it's it's you know in its absence it's sort of like toilsome and mundane, right? You know, and then the, of course the adventure sort of like it comes back and that you face the consequences of that. So I like that idea of how it it you know the magic of leaving taking the golden age away, but what if it comes back and and does something? And then I, I was also you know the one the the prince and the story of the prince of you know the 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 elfland's queen son uses shadow magic, right? You know, and that's very much in line with kind of the themes of the charwoman's shadow, you know, being able to summon shadows, hide in shadows, you know, and, and those elements, I think, you know, it, it's all within the the same space that Dunsany is writing about. So I, I like that as well. Yeah. They tie together really nicely. That's pretty solid. Yeah. But that's a, a really great correlation. I mean, we can only hope that we'll get a patron write up for the queen someday you know the the king of elfland's <laughs> consort <laughs> yeah who's the opposite of the king of elfland and the mirror of that well and they're different courts right i mean he is he is of the sealy and she is of the unsealy unsealy so, yeah so uh, those are night night and day summer and winter they are they are definitely opposites and yeah, of course i recommend pairing this with other uh would you say fey uh resources we, we've of course got the elfland edition of angels demons and beings between volume two <laughs> yeah i think that that's something i i i i've forgotten about and i think it's a, that's a great resource i i was also thinking that you could make this 
kind of into a fairy tale setting in in some ways and tie it with some of Daniel Bishop's work, you know, that we've mentioned many times, or I've mentioned many times on the podcast because I'm a big fan of like the, you know, the Prince Charming in that series. Oh yeah, that's a great series. You could have like almost like a, you know, make it a darker sort of fairy, you know, setting. And he's got like a, I think it, I can't remember if it's the Prince Charming or if it's one of the, or it's the second one where he has like the Goblin Knight market, you know, scene and setting, which is very unseely, very you know, fairy sort of of the woods. You know, and 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 I think you could you could almost have like a, a whole setting, you know, or mini setting built around, you know, these the those adventures, the 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 concepts of angels and demons, the Elfland edition, and Michael Curtis's uh, work as well. I think it'd be kind of a cool thing to do. Well, of course, uh, Sanctimus Corum covered the King of Elfland's daughter in episode twenty-seven, and so we did a we did a companion scene that's got a few things as well. So there's all sorts of of things out there from from Daniel Bishop, from ourselves. From, from the the good folks behind angels, demons, and beings in between. God, there is no shortage of third party products at this. No, point. and, I and can't all keep of up that, <laughs> all of that can be can be drawn from to expand on the on the Queen of Elfland's son, and and it's solid to begin with. But you can you can then take the the area around Ang, and all of a sudden, it's not just a point on a map. It becomes it becomes a setting. It becomes a, a, a small, you know, a mini setting, sort of like uh, you know, the Shutter Mountains is an entire world, but it's it's certainly enough for a campaign. You could do the same oh, yeah. with the areas around Aang. Exactly. Even with Shutter Mountains, our campaign most of it took place in a diameter the size of a quarter on that map. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, there's just, there's so many wonderful things in the Queen of Elfland's Sun to begin with. I love, I love the changing aspects of the fake creatures. So you have, you know, oh, the beautiful white unicorn. And now it, it's in its unseely aspect and it is devouring flesh and drinking blood. And uh, which, which in a lot of ways, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's dark and creepy and nice. And and so it, it gives you a lot of it gives it gives you a lot of pointers on how you can take things that are familiar to gamers, you know. Oh well, it's a fake creature. Da, 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 da. Oh, it's it's a brownie. It's a unicorn. And all of a sudden, yeah. So you you know of one side of that coin. Let me introduce you to the flip side. And this is this is why people left fires burning. This is why people shuttered their homes at night and and stayed in after dark. It wasn't because they were afraid that you know leprechauns were going to come and repair shoes. So yeah, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, too, there might have been. I, I want to say one of the Gong farmers. There's there's a uh, one of the maybe it was James Posenell did like a an article on uh, that's that's fay or fairy inspired as well. And I'm, I'll try to look that up and send it to the you know, to have with the show notes that accompany the the broadcast. It might have been the 2016 Gong farmers, but if I find oh, something there, I'll I'll bring it out. Well, and there's a there's another concept in the adventure that kind of plays with something from the Charwoman's Shadow, and that is, of course, time. Right? I mean, we have you know, the Charwoman lost her shadow, so her body aged, but her shadow didn't, and so her shadow restored her youth, and so it was when she returned home, she looked as she had apparently hundreds of years ago when she disappeared. 
and nobody remembered her. They they lit the candle to prevent this this spirit from returning. And in the Queen of Elfland's Sun, time passes differently under the mound. And if you're gone long enough, bad things can happen. You can be you know, given up for dead, uh, any any number of things. And so you can you can expand on that as well. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe you've decided to take a break from DCC and want to go into MCC. Run this adventure and have them stay under the mound for a month and come up to post-apocalyptic <laughs> world. And uh, or oh, or, or weird be, frontiers, right? I mean, that could be a it, fun deviation too. Yeah, so it's it is it is it is filled with options. Just good as a standalone or a campaign piece. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <sighs> well, I think that brings us pretty much full circle then. Yeah, yeah, it does. I think that that kind of brings us to the the end of the show. So uh, as a reminder to everyone, we are relaunching the Sanctum Secorum companion zine as Sanctum Secorum Quarterly. uh, We're expanding the content to include adventure reviews, uh, fiction, ongoing columns, uh, rules (laughs) columns, all sorts of stuff. And as always, it is going to continue to be absolutely free. And it has content from ourselves as well as writers and authors from across the community. And if you're wondering who is on our team, uh, joining us for the first issue are Daniel J. Bishop, uh, Blair DeMarco Wetlawfer, Michael Harrington, James Posenell, Matt Robertson, uh, Stephen Surratt. <laughs> Joan Troyer, Christopher Willett, and Dieter Zimmerman. That is, that is, you know, that brings us to 12 people working on this first issue for you folks. Um, and if you're interested in joining the team. busy editing, aren't I? Yes, you will. <laughs> if you're interested in joining the team or just simply contributing something for a single issue, drop us a line at thehub at sanctum.media. And uh, we'd love to see what sort of things that you've been creating. Uh, as, as I said you know, last month, we are no longer doing a, doing a, a publication that is strictly centered around the topics that we're covering in the show. Uh, while we will have sections that, that do include those things, because I promised I'm writing up the Philosopher's Stone, so I'm really <laughs> excited about that. Um, but we are, in, we are expanding into more gameable content uh, regardless of the uh, of the uh, subject, mm-hmm. so, so there's that. And in the meantime, be sure to check out our new releases from Ugandan author Ashraf Braden, which are the Kakondo and Lakwata. Both are available on Drive Through <laughs> RPG, and they're a buck each, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're micro releases that are meant to be printed out and uh, and just folded into a little zine. They're taken straight from Ugandan folklore. The Kakondo is a creature that literally, uh, when Ashraf was at school, there were stories about it creeping up on the beds to feed on the energy of the students at night. And without giving too much away on the Luquata, we can also add that uh, there's a pronunciation guide for a lot of the names and terms oh, the, the, because i i really uh i really enjoyed doing that part <laughs> yeah uh, laquata is and it's not even the laquata really is it is 
it is, well, I mean, technically. The Laquata article. The yeah. Laquata is its <laughs> name, and it is a lake monster uh, that once haunted Lake Victoria in Uganda. So, yeah, there's there's all sorts of really cool stuff. It's new material from a new voice in gaming, and we think you'll really enjoy it. So, and if you're enjoying the show, please uh, comment on the podcast, help us by posting reviews on iTunes or on YouTube, right? Because this will end up on YouTube. <laughs> RPG if you're a zine fan. Uh, the ratings and reviews, they do help new listeners find the podcast and the community. Plus, we it's it's some of the only thank yous we get for a lot of our content. <laughs> and a huge thank you to Goodman Games for hosting us here on their Twitch channel. Thank you. And, and speaking of Goodman Games, next month is the Sanctum Sequorum's 50th episode. And we will oh. be joined by no less than the Dark Master himself, Joseph Goodman, to discuss Robert E. Howard's Conan adventure, The Tower of the Elephants. Nice. Yeah. Always, always a good time to uh, to do some uh, some Conan. So, Jen, Mark, any last thoughts for the night? Uh, welcome to the new influx of community members. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... Something to highlight is that, you know, we've seen a lot of new people coming and finding DCC RPG, and we're here for, as a resource for you. Um, we're happy to to welcome you on board and, you know, hope to see you in game with you someday as well. Yeah, and um, for those who are just starting to discover Appendix N, we're going to be talking a lot about it. <laughs> in two weeks, we have the Sanctum Secorum Reading Room, which will have less gaming content, more of a focus on the Appendix N books. And uh, I and 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 related. And and I would, I I would feel like a schmuck if I didn't also mention that uh, Spellburn will be on same place, same channel, same time uh, next Monday, February twentieth. <laughs> so there you have it. Now all all uh, DCC podcasts float all boats. Of uh, that that is, that is exactly. <laughs> We are we are one big community. So we don't stand to gain anything out of this ourselves. No. And and as we do a, it out of love. as Tim White has noticed, yes, the Laquata uh download from Drive Through has MP3s to accompany the pronunciation guide, and that is the author Asher Braden pronouncing the the whole slew of, of terms that we have for the pronunciation guide, terms and names. So and that is some that was uh something that Jen had suggested that we're going to be doing moving forward with those releases. And do we, do we want to plug that at Gary con will be, you can pick up some. some yeah. So, well, yeah, we will have, we have swag coming. That's right. We have, we, we do have it's swag. Not. We have sanctum Socorum bookmarks coming that on one side have the Don't give too many details. Series. Make it a surprise. <laughs> I won't tell them what's on the back side. <laughs> okay, yes, so one side will have the reading list for you, so you can keep up with us each month, or get ahead, right? Yeah. So uh, find us, find us at GaryCon, and if enough of you don't find us at GaryCon, find us at GenCon, and enough of you don't find us at GenCon, find us at GameholeCon. They'll be gone by then. The bookmarks, okay. <laughs> and we'll also have them at the Goodman Games booth at GaryCon. Uh, I know a person. I'll make sure they. <laughs> <laughs> well, then uh, there, there you have it, folks. Uh, 
Yeah, that's that's good night for me and, and everyone else. We hope we've inspired you. Thanks for listening. Good night, everyone. Night. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum podcast. The Sanctum Socorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media.